It's episode 73 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and joining me today, as always, are J.P. Breen and Ryan Topp. How are you guys doing? Delightful. Yeah? J.P.? Man, we finally got some snow, and it's been it's been beautiful down here in South Bend, and then everybody's complained about it for two straight days. So I, I am enjoying taking the dog out for a walk in the snow for the first time because it was really, really weird when it was 60 degrees. We have no snow here. I was, it, it all went south. All the snow went south of us, which is weird in and of itself. But uh, I also saw a big news story last night on the evening news in Madison when I was back visiting about how all the businesses that are tied to snowmobiling in the state are like screwed that if you have a, a bar that's on like a snowmobile route you're like just not making money this winter yeah, yeah. count on it i say because it's actually um my dad works for uh, a place that like supplies body shops and so basically their entire winter budget is based on bad weather because Every, nobody goes to get their car fixed unless there's really terrible weather and all of those things. So, yeah, it's actually been bad for his for the business he works for because just, yeah, there hasn't been ice all over the place. There hasn't been a bunch of accidents and all of that stuff. So it's it's disaster capitalism at work. Let me well, tell you. we're getting to that point where we're counting down, what, a month out? We're a little over a month right now to pitchers and catchers reporting. Yeah, it, like 40 days. Yeah. But we're getting to the point where there hasn't been any snow in Wisconsin, and we're starting to count down to spring training. So yeah, I mean, we had a, we did have some snow in December, but it didn't really stick around. It just no. melted off right away. Nope. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens the rest of the winter. But I guess you know there are a lot of people who aren't going to complain about it like we are. This has been your Milwaukee's tailgate weather report. This has been. So uh, if you like that, you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's tailgate on. Uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, we want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page, which is now being updated again since Ryan isn't the only one that's doing updates. Uh, you can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash Milwaukee's Tailgate, MKE Tailgate. Our ball and glove patrons receive the monthly minor league extra podcast, which is out soon. Yeah, we're going to do it this week. I think we're scheduled for Tuesday, right, JP? Yeah. Yep. Yes. Sir. So uh, Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored in part by Carbon Four Brewing from Dragon Flute to Block Party to Fantasy Factory IPA. K Four specializes in English style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. January eighteenth, K Four is re-releasing Double Fantasy Factory, and this time it's in bottles. So check that one out. It's got a whole lot of hooch in it, besides being extra hoppy. Yeah, they didn't have it at the uh, at the brewery yesterday when I stopped by for the NFL game. Sure, but I did try the F Zero, which was exactly what they said it was. It was a IPA without hops or without bitterness, I should say. It was zero IBUs, and I didn't know what that was going to be like. And there it was. It, it definitely had no bitterness to it. So so there you go. If you want to try that one, uh, head over to the brewery on Kinsman Boulevard, and you can also find their beer and bottles uh, at your local retailer. As always, check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon4 Beer Brilliance. Milwaukee's Tailgate is also sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a pre premier, premier manufacturer of audio production gear and the located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the Mix Pre 3 and Mix Pre 6 
For more information, visit sounddevices.com. Hey, we had some news this week, like exciting news, more than just there's a transaction which we'll talk about because it's something. Well, I mean, those were Broxton and, and Santander deals were significant trades. and They the were. They're kind of things we were expecting to happen at some point because they just needed to kind of create more flexibility on the roster. But going out and signing Yasmani Grandal was a big deal. Well, yeah, yeah. and he's really like, can you imagine a more impactful, I set aside Harper and Machado because those are completely different classifications. I don't think there's any other single move they could have made this winter that would impact their like their outlook for this upcoming season more than doing this. This was a huge, massive, massive shift in what they're going to get out of the catcher position, and especially offensively. They were going to get good defense regardless, but the offensive upgrade at the catcher position is just monumental. Yeah, I think in terms of like what could have been possibly the the biggest impact move, I think you could make a pretty good case for Kluber if they were able to get that down. Um, whether or not that that's actually available is is another question. I think, again, we've talked about this at length. I think Cleveland's put them in a position in which they actually don't need to make that move now where they were possibly going to have to in, until they did all of their kind of payroll shenanigans with uh, Encarnacion and, and, and Santana and everybody. But Grandal, and this was a kind of a move that we talked about a lot in terms of being able to address the catcher position that everybody was talking about the starting rotation. Everybody was talking about second base and, and, you know, we still have, I'm a, I know we have a lot of questions about that and a lot of rumors, whether or not the Brewers might be connected to people, but we were saying that the catcher position was actually one of the places where they really stood to upgrade. And I personally talked a lot about Wilson Ramos because I didn't think that Grandal was financially going to be within kind of, uh, in, the Brewers were going to be within shouting distance of what Grandal was going to be able to get. Um, and that, you know, Real Mudo is is just not really realistic for anybody at this point, it seems. So the fact that they were able to get Grandal, the fact that they were able to get that over the line and have it be a financial, like a, a financial commitment that the Brewers are exceedingly comfortable with is one of the best moves that the Brewers could do. What that says about, you know, baseball, and the the economic situation for baseball more generally is um, something that probably will make me yell. But uh, but yeah, it, in terms of like what the Brewers are going to be able to do on the field, which is I understand what people care about and why a lot of this is able to transpire and why nobody gives a shit about the other stuff um, is is a great situation for the Brewers, especially when the the Cardinals have gone forth and really upgraded their team significantly the Brewers needed to be able to keep pace well and from the perspective you're talking about where he was it looked like he kind of was backed into accepting a one-year deal this isn't like last year when Mike Moustakis took what was it like seven and a half million to go back to the uh to the Royals and he was accepting less than half of what the qualifying offer was the, he was this can still work out very well for Grandal he'll go into the market next offseason will not have the uh the compensation pick attached to him because the Brewers can't offer him the qualifying offer. Now players can only get that once in their lifetime. So he'll be an unrestricted free agent next year and we'll get to go out and re hit the market. And there's a pretty good chance that, you know, getting this 18.25 million is going to be above the AAV that he gets next year in the off season. In fact, I would probably bet on it that he would, he's likely getting more of an AAV this year. And now next year he can go out and get maybe a, four-year deal 
without having that draft pick compensation attached and can make more money overall if things go well this year. There's obviously a lot of risk, especially in the catcher position. You can get injured. Things can start to go south for you. But this can work out for him, too. Financially, it's just more risky in this way than if he'd gotten you know guaranteed four-year $60 million. But are teams overvaluing that draft pick? Because, I mean, the Brewers gave up, what, 104th pick overall? It depends on what team you are. Sure. If you are a team that is on the luxury tax paying side, or if you're, if you're paying into revenue sharing, you give up your first rounder. The Brewers, by being a, a luxury tax recipient or a, a, a revenue sharing recipient, they give up the late pick. But it's different now depending on what kind of market you're in. Sure, but there's still quite a few teams that could get in, and they're giving up a third-round pick as opposed to a first-round pick. Sure. I think that the main suitors that you would think, like people said, well, why didn't the Dodgers do this? And I believe, JP, aren't the Dodgers allowed to re-sign them without paying the penalty? Yep. Okay, so that, that didn't even apply to them. Why the Dodgers didn't do this is really it's – a, it's a good question, and you do kind of wonder how much right now is being held up by Machado and – Harper being out there where teams just want to leave themselves the flexibility. If one of those guys becomes realistic and available to them and it, that really sets up like, does a team like the Dodgers want to re bring back Grandal and essentially make it very unlikely that they would, they would bring in Harper if he kind of fell into their laps. Yeah. Okay. So I don't want to get into that too much because I want to talk about what Grandal's immediate impact is going to be on this team. Because, again, we had an extremely low bar to get over as far as being an offensive improvement for this team from the catching position. But what does Grandal bring, JP, to this team now in the lineup? So I think first and foremost, what Grandal is going to be able to do is lengthen the lineup. Uh, We talked a lot last year, kind of six, seven, eight positions in, in the Brewers batting order. That was a huge problem. One of the biggest reasons that the Brewers were inconsistent offensively until the postseason push where things got a little bit better with uh, Kratz started to hit a little better. Pena started to hit a little bit better. Arcia kind of turned it around a little bit to be more productive. But Grandall is going to kind of bring a different skill set to the table in terms of being a, a switch hitter. He's somebody who does hit a little bit better from the left side. So whether or not it's going to be a little soft platoon or not, but he's going going to offer power. He's going to to be able to um, to draw some walks. And one of the the other things that he is going to bring in general, I think, is just more flexibility in terms of what the Brewers are going to be able to do. Even if he doesn't start, we've seen in the past that that Craig Council is willing to use his catcher as a pinch hitter, and so Grandall is actually somebody that. If he's not in the starting lineup on a certain day, whether or not you're going to be talking about double switches, whether or not you're going to be talking about just him being being used in late game situations to try to be able to bring somebody who's kind of quote unquote matchup proof, uh, Grandall is somebody that's going to bring a lot of things to the table, and he's hit over 20 home runs for the last three years in a row, so he's going to be able to bring that that kind of power to Miller Park. Okay, now he has caught a lot of games in his career already. Last year he had a career high; he played 140 games. Otherwise, he's usually pushing 130 a season when you talked about a soft platoon jp do you think it's more likely that they try to limit that exposure because i know there was a lot of talk you know once he was signed you know oh my goodness did you see grandall in the playoffs and uh, you know there's a lot of talk that he looked worn down by that point do they try to manage his his appearances his games and uh, i don't know make him more effective later in the season 
it it could be. Um, I I do think that they'll try to limit his exposure when it makes sense, especially if they do have somebody on the other side that can actually handle lefties pretty well. Um, but whether it, I wouldn't even say that like Pena or, or Kratz have been particularly useful against lefties, but um, I know that we'll talk about this more and more as it goes along. I think the narrative around Grandall in the postseason and his defensive struggles are um, a little bit off. And and that's not I know that everybody is talking about how good Grandall is defensively. And I mean, it's true to a certain extent, but he's gotten a boost as a pitch framer because he's not great at just like throwing runners out. Well, he's not a great thrower. And one of the biggest problems he's had throughout his career is past balls. And that's one of the biggest reasons that we saw in in the postseason. It's not like he was doing things poorly that he normally does extremely well. Like that's been a known issue with him for a long time. And so it's important to recognize when people say he's great defensively, what he's good at is pitch framing, which I think has kind of dominated the discourse around what makes a good defensive catcher. And Grindall does have some holes. I mean, he's a I think he's a fine defensive catcher. I don't think he's going to be able to come in and and kind of like break down in terms of like giving up pass balls and allowing everyone to run on him, but I think it's important to recognize what people are talking about when they're saying he's a good defensive catcher and not just saying what we saw in the postseason is atypical because, it, yeah, obviously the extreme because of how frequently it happened. But like those are issues that he's had over the course of his entire career. Yeah. And he is he's led baseball and pass balls the last three years, not each year, but over the course of those three years as a group, he has led baseball and pass balls. And it is a high profile thing. It's very noticeable. You see it. It's hard to ignore. And it, you know, it, it leads to a lot of snide jokes, the catcher who can't catch sort of stuff and those sorts of things. But the reality is he's good enough at the other things. And he is a average to slightly above uh, average catcher at throwing runners out. He is capable of keeping the the run game somewhat in check. He's guys are not going to be out there running wild on he, him. He manages the running game, but he doesn't do it because he has some massive cannon. No, no, he doesn't. But he's he's fine at it and it's it's not something that he's going to be you've seen catchers out there who get exposed on that and that's not him that's not he doesn't get you know run crazy on but i have to respect his arm i also though you should recognize too that yes i i I don't want to minimize the the impact that those those pass balls have had yes it's a little bit like strikeouts in terms of like it looks terrible and so you know those are the things that stick in people's mind but that also matters when you've got somebody at third base and you're trying to throw something in the dirt because you need you need to trust your catcher that he can get behind it that's something that either you know the brewers might have some numbers in terms of what you know what the pass balls look more like maybe the brewers because they throw their fastball high in the zone don't necessarily have to worry about that much um but maybe it's just kind of an issue that they're going to have to work around i don't necessarily know what that what that's going to be but it is more than just the raw numbers of pass balls it's about the confidence that jeremy jeffers is going to have to be able to come and throw a curveball down in the dirt with two strikes with somebody on third base well yeah i was going to say let's let's not make any guesses at the moment but we'll kind of keep in mind once the season starts let's see how they manage his innings once the season starts rolling and they get to those Jeffress or Knable or guys like that late in the game um, whether Grendel just catches a whole game or if they kind of use a rotation late and try to minimize his exposure to some of those pass ball situations I guess 
Sure. So it'll be interesting to look at. But um, there, I was going to say, it just like has a meme running through my head as we've been saying this to like the when you watch uh, like those viral basketball memes and people are yelling, expose him. Like that's kind of like what <laughs> I, I picture like with Grandall in the background is just like opposing teams just like screaming that at him and making a viral thing. Okay, because, real real quick. What do we give the the grade on this kind of move? I mean, it's hard to be anything other than an, an A. It, it's a really great move. It fits perfectly with what they needed. They didn't have to take a long-term risk on it. They're giving up the 104th pick in the draft, maybe the 102nd when it's all said and done. Who knows? But I, there's really no downside to this. It's it's very much a, a big upside move, and it's fantastic. I don't see where there's much room to be unhappy about it. it yeah, I, I think in terms of what the Brewers are looking at, in terms of how it's going to affect them on the field next season, it's an A. I think in terms of how I feel about it morally, I feel pretty awful about it um, because of what it... And this is something I ranted about on, on, on Twitter. It's not just about the fact he's making $18.5 million. And what it, it's what it symbolizes for people down the food chain that don't have the ability to make $18.5 million. The fact that for so long we've been set that we look at the fact that well, Corey Seager is going to make like $4 million next year. And Corey Seager could be one of the best players in baseball next year. And we're saying, well, don't worry. You know, when he hits free agency, he'll make it all back. And you're like, well, maybe. Yeah. I'm Well, and that, it, what do we have two seasons before our labor uh, dispute is probably going to come to a head. Yeah. I think it's after the 2020 season is when the 2020, 2021 off season. Yeah, when yeah, it comes to a head, and that's going to be Armageddon. Yeah, well, it really is. But until then, we get to appreciate that the Brewers went out and got Grandal on a one-year deal. And I guess what does this do to the NL Central, Ryan? Um, you know, because we kind of saw the Cardinals looking to to stock up on talent. The the Cubs have been quiet so far. I mean, if you believe fan graphs, the Brewers and are out of the basement. I was going to oh, hold on a second. And right before um, the signing, we saw the over/under in Vegas had the Brewers at thirty-five. 83 and a half wins mm -hmm. and that's what's kind of opened up and it it i don't think the grandall signing has moved it much since so I, according to fan graphs the brewers are projected now at 79 wins they were at 77 before that and that was yeah like six and a half below what vegas had at, at 83 and a half so that was that was kind of eye-opening and it's i think everybody who's talked about this number has acknowledged that the Brewers do things differently enough in the way they handle their pitching staff, especially the way the bullpen is managed and the way that some of these things, the Brewers are very much a team built on depth. So if your system is looking at who the starters are, it, it's going to miss some yeah, of the value it, of those project innings for players. And if you aren't projecting closer to equal values for everybody, and then also adjusting for how they're used, and the fact that like the Brewers are going to be able to cover injuries better than just about any team in the big leagues because they have such a deep 40-man, and they're going to utilize that full 40-man for the most part throughout the course of a season. So even acknowledging that, I mean, I think that the 83-and-a-half number is low. I think it's... It was low before the Grandall signing. It was low before the Grandall signing, and now it's you know kind of laughably low. It, so so get your money in now or did the line well <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know uh i would think so for me it really is this team has the the group to be able to compete for the nl central title i wouldn't say they're necessarily favorites the cubs i think still sort of exist in a 
in another level of that. I think the Brewers are very much in it with the Cardinals as true contenders for the NL Central. And I think there's a pretty hard line you could draw below them for the, the Pirates and the, the Reds. Though the Pirates are going to be more competitive than I think a lot of people expect. They, they've got some things, especially if some of those young pitchers step up. They're going to be more competitive. But it's still... And, and the Pirates have a sneaky deep offense. They just don't have stars. But they really are fairly decent across the diamond. They don't have too many big holes in their lineup. So they're going to be able to do something in that way. But you would think the Brewers can compete on fairly equal terms with the Cardinals and, you know, give the Cubs a run. Yeah. JP, what do you think this does to the NL central? I think it's going to, I think the NL central is going to be an absolute bloodbath this year. I think, I think that the Cubs have a lot of question marks. I know I, I disagree that the Cubs are in a class above the, the Cardinals and the Brewers. I think that, the Cubs have so many question marks about their pitching. Like even when healthy, they have a lot of question marks about their pitching and they have now a lot of question marks about their ability to have a consistent offense over the course of an entire year as well. I know that kind of 2017, 2016 version of what the Cubs offense is, you know, kind of lingers, but they obviously have a really good offense. I just don't think it's, you know, we saw what a great offense looks like and that's what Boston has. Right. Like it's not it's well, not the, the the AL was a completely different beast than what the offense in the NL was. Well, if and you get if you get Rizzo and Bryant back to being MVP type bats, which they have been for the better part of, you know, the last. Yeah, but Baez has to recreate what he did this past season, which he hadn't done before. Not necessarily. You have guys like. Uh, but I'm saying you have to you have to take that into account, though. Sure, I mean, you know, there's going to be a regression for some guys, even if you know Brian gets a bounce back. And you always say Rizzo, but Rizzo's just he does what he does. Mm. We saw Anthony Rizzo last year. That's like, just what he is. Rizzo, and Rizzo's fine. Like he's not even what top. He's definitely not in the top two first baseman in in the NL. And you could make an argument that you know that there are others out there that are even better than he is. Like, I don't think he is as incredible as everybody is talking about. But one of the big problems, I think, that the Brewers are going to have, and I I do take the point that depth matters. Uh, projection systems have a hard time kind of figuring out what the Brewers are going to do with their, their pitching. But, man, I still can't shake the fact that they're still going to be relying on a lot of people that don't either... A don't have a long track history whatsoever, uh, or um, B are relying on an idea rather than like actual production, right? Like it, it's there's an idea that depth and this idea of bullpenning or whatever you know whatever the hell you want to call it um, is going to make up for the fact that the Brewers just don't have a lot of good pitchers to, to in the starting rotation. Right. Well, and, and when we talk about well, they don't the, have a lot of good pitchers with track. We, we talk about the depth in their bullpen, but that's assuming Woodruff and Burns and guys like that stay in the bullpen. Eh, it doesn't necessarily it. But that's but when it, you look at the bullpen and say, wow, look at all the depth of this bullpen and how many innings they can cover and guys you could throw in. And then you look at the starting rotation and you say, well, somebody's got to start the game and you I need them to eat a few innings at least. Yeah. And like if you take out Burns and Woodruff from from the bullpen, it's not that deep. It's got yeah, Knable, uh, who's obviously really good. Jeffress, who had 
issues in the last part of the season that we don't, re- I, and if we're being honest, don't really know what to expect from Jeffress coming into this year. You've got somebody like Jacob Barnes, who was kind of unproductive to the point that you were going to send him down. Alex Claudio was unproductive to the point that he lost his his closer role in Texas. Um, you know, Hater's obviously fantastic, but you've got guys like Bobby Wall who, you know, like struggle to throw strikes enough that people are wondering whether or not he's even going to start in the big leagues. Like they've got a lot of arms and a lot of depth that ideally you would say enough of them are going to hit that it, that it can work. And that's, uh, I think, what I look at when I look at this. I say that you have enough guys with a big upside in terms of talent, starting with Wall and Taylor Williams and Jacob Barnes, those guys, somebody in that group, I feel like, is going to break out and be part of but you could still have the that end again. You could still have that doomsday scenario where you just have that that season of regression and nobody takes that step forward. And Hater takes a step back. Hater had a fantastic season last year. To expect him to be as good as he was is a really high bar. And we don't know. We haven't seen guys work in that way for multiple seasons like to be able to say, well, this is this is the plan. This is the way it works out from season to season. And this right. will be okay for him. Yeah, it, that's a valid point. We don't know, but I think you can also get to... You can, you can get overly optimistic and look at everything could go right, and that's a mistake. And it's also a mistake to go, well, everything's going to go wrong. Sure. No, no, no. But I, it's important to recognize, though, that what, you're de- what I'm trying to put a finger on is that you're relying on an idea more than proven production well yeah more than proven production but not necessarily more than talent you know you have you have real talent well we've talked about that for the bullpen for years for absolute years we've talked about what the bullpen could be and yeah part of it is you're going to say that they have so many better arms and in the in the course of you know years past but that's just the nature of baseball that you have guys coming in and throwing upper 90s and if you still are looking at the starting rotation and whether or not what that starting rotation is going to be relied on to do what it's going to how many innings it's going to need to 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 kind of go through we don't necessarily know yet but you're still talking about uh relying on on Shasin who yeah i mean was our best pitcher i think last year in terms of uh starters i think i took him or maybe steve did i don't remember in terms of talking about him as like kind of the most valuable pitcher over the course of a year and but besides him i mean we've literally said i don't know like maybe junior guerra is gonna start or maybe zach davies is gonna start and like all of those guys while they have shown that they can be kind of a mid three era guy have also shown that they can be a mid four era guy and it's about can your depth handle the fact that you've got a lot of volatility in terms of your potential production and and i think yes but I think it's also a little bit naive for us to say that, yes, it's automatically going to be able to. They're they're banking on the fact that depth is going to matter more than proven production. And I think that that it makes sense to a, to a certain level. I think that that Burns is is somebody that could be a potential wild card for the team this year. I think that Woodruff showed that he can step in and be a starting starting pitcher. Um, you know, all of the good, positive things that we've talked about for six months. I think that those things still exist, but I still it's also important to recognize that the brewers are dealing with an idea much more than proven production. And we don't really know if that works. 
Well, and I think we also have to expect them to basically let it shake out, and we're going to see some bad performances. Yes, that eventually work its way through till they find the guys that they can get the right production from for whatever length of time, and then they'll they'll cycle through if somebody starts to fade or something like that. It's not this process of they go into the season, they have what they need, and then you just bring the next guy in. There's going to be somebody who's terrible, and everybody's going to call for their head right away, and the team needs to give them a certain amount of time to either work through it, like Shasin did last season. Yeah, Shasin was not great out of the gate. You're right. No. So, you know, there, there's going to be that frustration, and I think – the quicker they can find it, the better. But, you know, we should expect two months of kind of letting things play out. Yeah, and that doesn't mean that those two months, they might actually be very successful depending on what else is happening because the, well, the strong points of the roster Well, last year really we saw good. that the bullpen, you know, was on fire when it came out last season. So they got, like, fabulous production top to bottom. Yeah, late April into through May, they yeah. really the bullpen did carry that team and made it so that anytime they had a lead, they basically held it. Well, and I do think the Brewers, while they did have injuries, and I think it's important to recognize that they had injuries, they didn't have any really serious injuries. Where, no. and so if the the odds that that happens again, I don't think are extremely high. Um, and so again, right. It's, it's about depth that matters, but as what Steve's talking about in terms of those, those really difficult spots or like this uncertainty in, in the rotation or dealing with the fact that somebody's not good for a couple of months and kind of trying to figure out, are you rotating them? Are you sending them down to triple a, you know, if Justin does struggle again, how much do you rely on his track record and just say, go ahead and work through it for a couple of months. We don't necessarily know how that stuff works, but what Grandall is showing is that if you can have a if you can have a lineup that is going to have three good outfielders Travis Shaw being one of the the better third baseman in in the NL Grandall being one of the better uh offensive catchers in the NL if Jesus Aguilar is able to really kind of turn it around and be the guy and if you can get Keston Hira and or whoever they're going to have to bring in at, at second base if you can have a long lineup that in is is consistent and dynamic then that gives you a little bit more leeway to play with the pitching rotation as well. Okay, so I'm going to come back to the the second base issue. Um, but first, I want to get to uh, Brian Polakowski's Patreon question. With Grandal behind the plate, what's more likely, Pena or Kratz to AAA, or does one get traded? Uh, my hope is that Kratz is willing to go down to AAA. I'm also toying with the idea, if the Brewers were to say, uh, deal Eric Thames, and basically treat Grandal as their backup first baseman, him and Braun as the backup first baseman for Aguilar, okay? That could potentially allow them to keep all three catchers on the roster at the same time. I think you're getting a little tricky, but okay. That Well, there it wouldn't be something that you could do the entire season, but if you could, at various points, run with three catchers, it would give them a ton of flexibility to be able to do all sorts of things, including... What JP's talking about is using when Grandall is not starting, using him as a uh, as a you know a pinch hitter and basically as a super sub to come in and you know change things up. Or in a game where Grandall is starting and you want to get him out of the game so that you can rest him and not put all those innings on him, you can do that in the sixth inning and not worry so much about you know, potentially losing a catcher or whatever. JP, do you think the Brewers should go crazy like Ryan is suggesting, or should they just manage their catchers like normal catchers? 
I think uh, I don't I don't see a scenario in which I think I would want Grandel Pena and and Kratz on the roster. Um, I I understand the point, but that's I don't think that that's something that is is all that attractive to me. Um, I think right now I would. I would be exploring what Pena can bring in a trade. Uh, if you can get a Broxton level trade, then I think you do it. Um, I think if you can potentially get uh, a couple of, of prospects, um, I think that that's a very quality way to be able to try to, to move uh, a catcher who has started for the better part of two years in a market that still has a lot of teams searching for catching. Um, you might be able to to do something in which you can find a useful big leaguer to continuously round out this depth. And I think that Kratz brings the defensive assurity and and the clubhouse presence to be able to do that. Now, I also I think a lot of teams value having uh, a catcher that can speak Spanish as well, um, especially for how many uh, pitchers coming up. And Grandal can do that. Um, Pena was uh, obviously somebody that could do that as well. So it could be a situation in which. Um, they have uh, two catchers who can speak Spanish, uh, whether, but I think that Grandall gives them some flexibility that they know that they can have somebody that is able to to communicate well with with pitchers who might not be able to speak English as well. Um, you see that across the league that a lot of teams do that. They do that in AAA as well. I don't know. Does Manny Pena have any options remaining? I don't believe so. No. Yeah, I don't believe so either. And so, like that, it again, it feels like an obvious move, um, but at the same time. Hold on. Does if, does that mean you're confident in Nottingham as being the third guy? I mean, Nottingham or a waiver wire guy like Kratz was last year. Okay. I mean, the the issue I have with getting rid of Pena, and I'm definitely against it, is now next year, Grunholz on a one-year deal. Pena has two years of control left after this. You're looking at now, after next year, Eric Kratz will be almost 40. Yasmani Grandol will be a free agent you're really looking at a very thin catching situation then. And you've, so getting rid of Pena takes out a lot of just assurance and depth that he, he provides you. It's just a safety net to have. And I wouldn't give that up unless I absolutely was blown away in what somebody was offering. I would have to be absolutely blown out of the water because it, I just, given that they're going to try to contend over the life of that Pena, those three years, I, I don't see them backing out and not contending. Just giving him up would be a big mistake for me. I wouldn't want to do it. So two things. Number one, they wouldn't just be giving him up. I was advocating getting a trade in which something useful was coming back. No, I know. But like you said, the uh, you threw out the Broxton trade. That's that's too low a bar for me. No, no. If you, Okay. That's not just giving him away, especially if you're going to use Bobby Wall as one of the key pieces in the bullpen that gives you that depth that you want. Um, the other thing, too, is I take the I actually I I take that point in terms of being able to look at um, look beyond 2019 and being able to assure that you ensure that you have some catching options. I, I'm actually sympathetic to that point, and I think that that's probably right. The one thing that I would say, though, um there are catchers that are available every single year. And I also, even in 2020, I wouldn't want Manny Pena being the starting catcher. Well, I mean, but you'd be comfortable with him in some sort of a timeshare role. Right. But which would then mean I would still need to go somebody to go get somebody that I would feel comfortable with at least 
like having a part-time role. But then right? you're not necessarily saying, okay, we have to go out and get a starting, no doubt, catcher. You're saying we need to get somebody who can play. Okay, last point on this. Anything else, JP, on that? Uh, well, I also think that Jacob Nottingham isn't, uh, he isn't, this is going to sound stupid. He isn't nothing, right? Like, he is somebody that if you're looking at Pena and you're looking at, at 2020, then you're either saying, you know, is it Pena Nottingham or is it saying that I've completely given up on Nottingham? Is it somebody that, you know, maybe then then that gives you some flexibility to move Pena? I don't know. I I, I, I think I am persuaded that probably keeping Pena over, over Kratz is, and this was uh, something I was going to address before we were talking about it earlier, and, and that Kratz... Kratz has been moving around for a reason, and it's the fact that he can't hit very well. Um, well, and he's but, also 40, or soon to be. Well, I don't really care about that, but yeah. Well, uh, and a lot of why I think people are willing to keep him around is because he just got some key hits during the playoffs, and they, well, it was not like he was tearing the cover off the ball. He, he got some stuff that bled through that over yeah. the course of a season turns into nothing, and then he's a complete zero at the plate. The, I, the, reason, the reason that I like Eric Kratz, though, is because he's phenomenal defensively and handles pitching staff just tremendously right sure. and from that perspective i would like to keep him around that's why going back to what i said originally but the we, ideal would be if you could get eric Kratz to accept going to triple a sure but we have that with pina as well he's not a slouch as far as handling the pitching staff no manny pina is also they're both very good defensive catchers kind of all around the board so um okay Big question for the Brewers is still, do they sign a second baseman? Uh, DJ LeMahieu signed with the Yankees. Dozier's with the uh, Nationals. Jed Lowry signed with the Mets. I mean, who's available? And do do the Brewers still need to focus on going out and getting a guy to play second base? I mean, I'm more convinced, like JP said before, that Spangenberg is a fine fallback option at this point. And with Hura banging on the door i don't think it's necessarily a high priority i think if you're they're still waiting to see who could potentially fall to them i think they are interested in josh harrison because he can play besides uh second base he could also play third base and i think fill in some at shortstop and maybe go in the outfield a little bit too but it's not really a hugely high priority for me just because i'm expecting to see Hira relatively early this season so i'm not that worried about it JP, we do have a question from Adam Post on on uh, Patreon. He asks, uh, basically, he lists Josh Harrison, Wilmer Flores, uh, as Drupal Cabrera, Marwin Gonzalez. Um, are any of those guys uh, players that you think the Brewers should target? Uh, yes, and I. So we heard, I believe it was John Heyman. Somebody said that there are. Or no, it was uh, it was um, uh, Passan, who, by the way, is now with ESPN. So huge congratulations to him if he listens, which I imagine he does. Uh, and <laughs> there is, uh, there are a lot of uh, kind of. He said that the Brewers are going in heavily after somebody who can play second base, but he said second and third base, which I think is one of the key points and something what we've been addressing for the second base position. You need flexibility there to be able to move around. And so Estrubal Cabrera is somebody who absolutely provides that. He's somebody that can play second base, shortstop, and third base. He's somebody that uh, I think Marwin Gonzalez, as soon as I saw, as soon as I saw um, the fact that 
the Brewers were in heavy after somebody that could play multiple positions. It was one of those things that it was like, by God, that sounds like Marwin Gonzalez's music. All right. Like that's, that's what it sounds, but obviously the financial, the financial commitment for somebody like Marwin Gonzalez is going to be much higher. I think that I, I mentioned it really early in the se- in, in the off season. I thought Estrubal Cabrera made the most sense in, in terms of what the Brewers were going to be able to do just because he's going to provide a little bit of flexibility at shortstop because we don't know what, Orlando Arcia is yet other than a phenomenal defensive shortstop, but that wasn't even enough to carry him over the course of last year. So I think that they are going to get somebody. I think that they're, they're looking for the right financial deal as everybody's been talking about. Um, But I do think it's going to happen and I think it'll probably happen pretty, I'd, I'd say within a week. Um, We do have a Twitter question from Abe Jarzuski on Twitter. Because it's a Twitter question, obviously. Uh, I'm curious if Grandal and or uh, Dozier's signings have changed your opinion on letting Scope walk. And I know, Ryan, you have a lot of opinions on Scope. Well, yeah, and I think both JP and I were fairly negative about that. Uh, me more so. But, yeah, I think it completely changes this this whole thing. It's very hard to imagine the Brewers would have, if they had brought back Scope for that $10 million tender, that they would have then also made this deal, the $20 million for Grandal for one year. I think that that's exceedingly unlikely. It's not, I'm not saying it's impossible. They could have maybe juggled some other stuff around and made it happen. But I think it's exceedingly unlikely that that happens. And so you have to sort of balance that and say, well, on one hand, the Brewers didn't know that Yasmani Grandal, when they made that decision on scope, they didn't know that Grandal was going to fall into their lap at this wonderful contract. But at the same time, they also could have looked at the market last year and said, well, look how many players ended up falling to teams at discounts. We should keep our, our options open. And if they were taking the stand in when they made that decision back in late November, early December, that we need to keep our options open and not commit ourselves to this because something else that's even better might present itself down the line. And we want to be open to that, that we can bring that in and do that. It makes a lot of sense. So I very much back off of the stuff I was saying about scope, because I think that this, this sort of proves the point that they did a a smart thing by keeping their options open. So, and scope would have limited those options. JP, do you have any, any scope opinions? Uh, I don't, I mean, if they were going to let him go, they were going to let him go. I think keeping their options open financially is certainly, uh, you know, a good reason to let scope go. Um, I still stand by exactly what I said, you know, a month ago or whatever the hell, whenever it was, um, if that was so important that they were going to keep themselves financial, their financial options open and that scope was going to be a detriment to it. I don't know what the fuck they were doing, getting him in the first place. That makes no sense. That's there's still truth to that, but yeah, I, I have less of an issue with it. If they felt like they made a mistake, I guess they didn't keep him around. Well, sure, but that's that's it, right? Then, then the whole move was a mistake from the beginning and not because of what he did for two months. It was the fact that it was a mistake because you wanted, you valued the fact that he was going to financially hamstring you in the in the offseason. And therefore, it either means, again, that they were impacted by what he did over like two months of starting or like two weeks of starting, really, which is a stupid reason to make any kind of performance adjustment or that they were going to do this anyway, which then I don't understand the move in the first place, which is fine. I don't have to like, we can just say it was a mistake and move on. I'm just saying that like, it doesn't make any sense. Sure. My, my only point with that was if it was a mistake, if the process was bad, instead of trying to like 
play it out and say, no, we can turn this around and make it a good decision in the long run. At least they just kind of cut bait on it and said, we made a mistake. Let's move on and make the roster better. And people have made that case this offseason saying David Stearns treated it like a sunk cost, which it was, and he moved on from it without feeling beholden to it. And that's good. But don't do that too often. Well, no. And Stearns, to Stearns' credit, that was what he said. The, the second they decided not to tender scope, he said, hey, this is on me. I made a mistake. So right. he did my, he did own my, that. Right. And my point in that I get I gather that especially, you know, you two don't care about it. And nobody else listening cares about. But I'm going to just say it again. It was a mistake in July. It was not a mistake in December. Sure. No, that's I mean, what he's saying, though. He said he made a mistake when he got scope. Yeah. OK, so looking at other uh, potential bad moves that they could make, um, there have been a lot of Madison Bumgarner rumors. Cooking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, in the in the the subject of bad moves the Brewers could potentially make, Madison Bumgarner for one of their young starting pitchers would definitely fit in that. Well, especially if, if it's if it's Woodruff or Burns. I well, mean, and it got a little, little crazy more. because originally it was everybody's favorite Corey Ray, who is both terrible and the most valuable prospect in any trade, uh, being the guy that would get Madison Bumgarner, and then they started to add like, oh, the Giants are also asking for Burns or Woodruff. So I guess is a pitcher like Bumgarner the kind of guy that they should be looking to target to add to the rotation? And what's an actual cost that would be worth that? Would it just be Corey Ray or are there just more pieces that they'd have to add? JP, what do you think? I think Madison Bumgarner would be a fine addition if it didn't cost much. I just think that A, the the Giants aren't willing to accept it, what I think the Brewers would want to pay for it, which... I mean, yeah, Corey Ray, I think would be a fair would be a fair price. Um, I think maybe just Peralta straight up would be a fair price, but I'm not I'm not interested in giving up anything more more than that. Just because I think what you're relying on is Madison Baumgartner being what he was, um, you know, a couple of seasons ago, and if he is that, absolutely he would cost more than you know Freddie Peralta or something like that. Uh, but he's getting older. His his fastball velocity is decreasing. His ability to miss bats has been getting worse. Um, it that's not a bet that I'm willing to take. And his DRA last year was about four point four, I believe. I, I don't really remember what it was, but I think it was something in the mid fours. He's just somebody that you are are banking on. You know, the last couple of years being a kind of a fluke because of some some strange injuries that happened and i'm not willing to pay a lot for that to be honest uh i think that if if he, i think he could be worth it but the brewers in the position that they are they they don't need somebody coming in and being a number three starter with what the giants are asking he's a guy that you wait to see if you need it at midseason and then if he's if he's shown in the first half that he's gotten back to being that guy and if you need it then you make that move. You don't do that right now because the Giants are pricing him like he is that guy. They're I mean, pricing him and asking for you to assume that he's basically a frontline starter. And I, that's not what you're going to necessarily get. So you wait. I mean, reportedly they are, right? Like we right. don't we don't really know what they're what they're asking for. But I mean, this is I think right now, especially when things are leaked to the media it's important to keep in mind that it's being leaked for a reason. Um, and the vast majority of it is, you know, it could be a situation in which they're leaking out that they're asking for some pretty big pieces. And um, 
you know, so when they end up getting less, they can go to their fan base and say, look, we we asked for more. He's not worth it. And nobody was willing to give it. We took the best deal that we could possibly get. Right. I mean, there is a reason that you go for those sorts of things. And maybe it's. But to me, I think every time that you see what a team is asking for in a trade and it's leaked to the media, it's massive. And the vast like majority Taylor of- Trammell and uh, the New York Yankees asking for uh, Trammell for Sonny Gray. Well, and even just kind of what what the Marlins are asking for in terms of Real Muto, right? Like everything is just sky, sky, sky high. And one of the big reasons is any time that you are a team that's potentially rebuilding, you are, well, the Yankees don't fit in that, but that's, you know, they're just trying to appease people for why they haven't traded Sonny Gray yet. And people won't ask for what he's worth. Um, and it it's could be something in which they're trying to drive a narrative. So when they do ultimately accept something lower, they can say like, look, we tried. I mean, it's what the Mets did for what the Mets do for years in which they say they're connected to so-and-so for, you know, some huge price and they end up not signing him. They go, well, we tried, right? Like it's the Mets apparently offered uh yes, Ronnie Grandel for four years, 60 million. And then reports pretty quickly after that said, yeah, that that never actually was true. Yeah, it wasn't an assignable deal. It was they, it was more in the low 50s and there might have been some escalators in there. And so those you have to be a little bit careful of. But I think that the Giants, I, I, I personally think the Giants would be stupid to trade him in this offseason. I think that they would be much better trying to trade him in July. Um, but depends on their confidence in his health and his productivity going forward, because if he has a really crappy first half, then any chance of getting anything of significance for him with half a season of a mediocre pitcher, then you're just looking at getting basically nothing. So they have to feel fairly confident that he's going to rebound. But as of right now, you're not, you're not advocating giving up anything that would really impact their long-term rebuild anyway. I suppose. I mean, I, I mean, Freddie Peralta Peralta is a, a fine pitcher. We, we obviously really like him. Um, he's a he's a fun he's a fun pitcher. Um, he's somebody that can put together really impactful uh, starts. You know, we saw that in Colorado. But Freddie Peralta is also not somebody that I think is in the top five starters for the Brewers right now. And we're talking about them needing to add. So. Um, OK, moving on, we have a question from Nick Zettel on Twitter. He asked uh, if you had to enter the season with the current roster. And he asked this a couple weeks ago. Uh, so it was before the Grandal signing. But he asked, uh, if you had to enter the season with the current roster, how many games do you think the Brewers would win? You want JP to go first? I Sure. You don't want to set the bar, I already, Ryan? I already kind of said it. I We were talking about this somewhat earlier. We did a little bit. We we touched on a little bit, but I'm actually going to... If I had to put a it. number right now, sure, I can... 89. I, 85. Yeah, I'd say about 86. You guys were too low last year, too. We were lower last year as well. I was, yeah, I was low last year, but I also think that uh, projections almost every single year are too low. So, yeah, and I mean, you know, again, 86, I mean, I'm not going to be surprised by a 91 win season. 96 wins, I think it takes a lot to go right, like they got last season. Yeah, I think, and it's important to recognize when you're talking about 85 win season, you're talking about like standard deviations from there being being reasonable, right? Sure. I mean, I, you kind of say if, if you put a number at 89, then you're sort of saying anything between about 95 and 84 shouldn't be surprising, 83, 84. 
I could see them winning 80 games. I could see them winning 90. Right. So like, that's, that's why I'm at 85. I could easily see both happening, but we're in agreement that the 79 was at the current one on uh fan graphs. That seems real, real low. That's low. The Vegas odds were a little more reasonable because they were at 83 and a half. Sure. So that's they they're probably right around the 85. But I mean, Grandall himself is like a multiple win upgrade, right? Over what they had on paper anyway. When we're doing this Sure, before you know, that I probably would have said about 84. Okay, so you're I, saying it goes to 86 now so you're you have them as being worth a couple wins. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not like doing some I'm not doing some equation. I'm just kind of pulling, you know, what I think the the win total will be. I don't know. JP might have his abacus out doing a little bit more uh back-end research on that i have, I have uh really intensive notebooks with multiple equations trying to figure out how everything really will shake out over the course of a year i'm picturing yep. the charlie scene from it's always sunny right now the i actually very much <laughs> where he just sits there and he's like he's like pointing at a huge board with tons of things all over the place yeah oh i uh, thought you meant he was huffing huffing paint and coming up with the day man uh <laughs> song no i think they're uh no, I often feel like when I'm teaching class that I, I'm like that. Um, but yeah, I think prior to the Grand All signing, I saw the 83 and a half and I thought that made sense. Um, and so I think 85, 86 wins, I think is a safe bet. Um, basically, what you're then saying is they're pretty good bet for the for, for a wildcard chase. And if it gets a little bit better than that, they can do a little better. Um, but I think right now with how many question marks until we... And like this is a, a really cop out answer until we see what's happening with the the pitchers. What until we see what is happening with Jimmy Nelson in terms of what we know is going to be in the bullpen, in terms of what we can see and how they're actually going to man, manage their their pitching staff. Until we find out what happens at second base, um, I think right now it'd be really tough for us to say that they're going to be anything more than a mid eighties win team. And part of that is because the Braves are going to be better, Cardinals are going to be better. You're you're looking at the Dodgers still being a powerhouse. The the Nationals are going to be a powerhouse. Uh, Phillies are going to be better. Like you're looking at a lot of of teams that potentially could bring win totals across the NL down to the middle. Yeah, the Mets are going to be better considerably. You would think. Um, there was what an interesting is, point made by Jeff Sullivan on the uh, Effectively Wild podcast this week. They were talking about the fact that one of the things that could end up deciding the NL Central because they kind of have the Brewers, Cardinals, and uh, Cubs is kind of co-favorites up near the top of the division, said a lot of that could come down to what happens with you, Darvish, Anthony Reyes, and Jimmy Nelson. That those things, if one of those guys turns into a great pitcher again, that could be really the difference in the division, and you just don't know how to price any of that. How do you... I mean, I'd all even injury say, stuff. I'd say for the Cardinals that Carlos Martinez is going to be massive for them too. Oh, sure. Yeah, I think you brought up Reyes just because Reyes will be back maybe mid-season and could potentially be a big impact move well, for them. What was it? Did Jimmy Nelson do an interview? Was he on the radio or where was it? He was saying that he expects to be on schedule for spring training. No, that he is fully, like he's gone through his normal offseason. Yes, this so year. He he's not to, in rehab mode at all. He finished up his rehab last fall. Yes, so he expects to go through spring training as a normal spring training at this point. Yes. That's what he said. That's what his expectations are, yeah. So, and how I know Hottercourt was saying, you know, he, he expects them to maybe be a little easy on him and ease him in. And I think he mentioned that he could potentially go to AAA to start the season. We'll see. I mean, if Jimmy Nelson is 
we'll see where the velocity is, not just at the start of camp and everybody's going to freak out because it's going to be low and everybody's going to be, oh my God, he, he's never going to throw hard again. We'll see where the velocity is as we get towards the end of camp and how he's feeling, how his recovery between throwing is. Like, does he feel any soreness or any issues or does he just feel like, you know, normal? That's going to determine a lot of how they end up handling him, how hard they want to push him. Yeah, well, JP, is there is there a chance that spring training is going all right for Jimmy Nelson, but they decide to you know put him on the DL or maybe give him some starts in AAA before uh, the season? I in if that's going to happen, I think they're going to have to feel remarkably confident in other people coming into in, in into April. Or what that means is they're working some roster stuff to get somebody else on the roster. Uh, if you send Jimmy Nelson to AAA, suddenly you might have a spot for Chase Anderson, right? Like if 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 roster crunches are coming down, you might be able to kind of finagle something that way, which is why we saw the Brewers do that with uh, with G-Man Choi last year, and they kind of waited an extra day to be able to get Jennings on the roster. Uh, so G-Man Choi was worth one win for the Brewers last season. He was a one-win player in, what, one game? Yes. That's how that math works, right? That's how that works. That's exactly how it works. But I think with Jimmy Nelson, I'm not just worried about his velocity. I'm not just worried about his shoulder health. I'm, I think it's also, we talk a lot about, you know, after Tommy John surgery, it takes an extra year. Yeah. You might get back on the mound, but it takes a year to get back to normal because you got to get your, your breaking ball back. You have to get your used to pitching every five days. You have to get your sequencing back and you have to get your feel back. You're talking that Jimmy Nelson's not going to be pitching on a big league mound for a better part of a year and a half. And he's going to need some time, even if his velocity is good, to come back and get the feel and, and consistency over the course of an entire season. So I don't know what to expect from Jimmy Nelson. I hope he comes back and just feels uh, – I hope he feels good, and I hope he come, comes back and can be a, a quality big league pitcher again. Um, but I think that if he's not right away, if he struggles with his command, if you know he's walking a lot of guys or is hanging some curveballs or his curveball's not that great right away, uh, I don't think it's – reasonable for us to then say he's never going to be the guy again i think sometimes you just need a year to be able to get back right we're going to have to be patient and that's going to be difficult but because we've already waited a long time yeah it's already been a long haul anyways on that we're gonna wrap it up for this week um yeah there's optimism going forward you know, with the grand all signing, there's still question marks. So a lot of off season left, but it should be fun to watch from this point forward. So uh, anyways, that'll do it for this week. You can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash MKE tailgate patrons at the ball and glove level will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. And we do have that coming up. And I know we've, we've actually been delaying some questions because they were more minor league focused. So some of our patrons who submitted questions for the regular pod and haven't heard them yet. Uh, they will be coming in the minor league pod. Um, as always, follow us on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and we're on Spotify. You can leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Tailgate.